Good morning. Hadn't it been a good morning so far? My name is Matt Betts. I'm the youth and young adult pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. It is so good to be with you this morning. Uh, check that out. Pastor Tim did that. He... It's just amazing that um, God gives us the abilities and God gives us the capabilities to worship him in different ways. And uh, that's just, that's a gift. And I know it's, it's been 20 years in the making where he has, he's like, I'm, I haven't done that, but um, he should have done that years ago, uh, that expression of worship like that. Uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, did y'all have a good Halloween? Anybody dress up in here? Few people did. Listen, okay, it's good to have four kids. My living room floor was covered in candy last night, and I was just like swimming in it. I was like, this is the greatest day of my life. Um, my kids are like, Dad, stop. Uh, I love candy, Kit Kats, Twix. I mean, it was just, you name it, it was there. And uh, once my kids went to bed, it was on. Uh, it was, uh, Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. I'm excited about today. Uh, this is the culmination of what we've been talking about for the entire month of October. Uh, over the last month, Tim and I have been in a series entitled Truth and Dare. The idea behind it was to, is simple, is to present simple biblical truth and then to dare or challenge the congregation and ourselves to get out of our comfort zone and actually practice what we preach and practice what we hear. So let's do a little test uh, this morning. Tim talked the first uh, week of this series on, on prayer. Does anybody remember what the dare was? To pray out loud with someone. And it's pretty amazing uh, to hear the stories coming out of that week and how people actually began praying with their, with their spouses, began praying with their kids on the way to school, began praying with their coworkers and, and things like that. And it was just amazing to see like immediate, um, uh, immediate action taking place on, on that dare. So the second week was Tim preached on serving. And that day the, the challenge was to serve for two hours, served somebody for two hours that week. And of course, uh, many of us went out that day and served in various areas of our community and our counties all around doing all kinds of things for God. And many of you took that that week and did, did a lot of things. Now, last week I preached and I preached on, okay, I was just making sure you're awake. Uh, I preached on words and speech. Does anybody remember what the challenges were? One was an attitude and it was to ask the question, what would Jesus say or not say in this situation? And I hope that you did that. And I'm sure that your conversation, if you did that this last week, your conversations went a lot better. Now, the other one was action, and it was to write two letters of encouragement to someone, one person inside of the church, one person outside of the church. And uh, I got a couple letters this week, and I thank you so much, so much for those letters and cards that you sent me. Hopefully a lot of people in this room uh, were able to get those. If you haven't done those, I encourage you strongly to do those this week and to, to really encourage somebody in their life. Uh, but today is on worship. Today is on worship. And if you haven't already noticed, the title in your bulletin is this, worship should not be a part of your life. 
Worship should not be a part of your life. It's a pretty provocative title. In fact, it sounds entirely wrong. It sounds, it sounds so wrong that you probably should kick me off the stage this morning. That's how wrong it sounds, but I did that on purpose because worship should not be a part of your life. It should be your life. In fact, it is your life. It is your life. Worship is who we are, it's what we were designed for, it's what God wanted for us. But to be honest, as I was studying this sermon out, um, you start flipping through the pages of the Bible and you start realizing, oh my goodness, what am I going to talk about? Um, where am I going to land here? What, am I, what passage am I going to use? Because there's so much, so much in the Bible about worship. The entire Bible is a study on worship. It's a study on worship. Just think about this. From the opening pages, we see Adam and Eve falling into sin because they were convinced there was something more worthy than God to worship. The Ten Commandments begin with a call to worship God and not the other things that we make gods. Joshua calls the nation of Israel to worship God alone and to reject the gods around them. And then he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The book of Psalms are songs declaring the worth and worship of God. All the prophets called for the people to turn back to the one who is worthy of worship, the one that had done so much for them. That's what all the prophets talk about. The New Testament burst on the scene declaring that Emmanuel, God with us, was born. And then you see the wise men seeking him out to worship him. The book of Revelation, as it ends, it says this, no longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. The entire Bible, everything that we see, every page is filled with worship. Every page is trying to get us back to worshiping and seeing the worth of who God is. The entire Bible is filled with it. So today I've picked Isaiah chapter 6 to kind of hone in because I, the, the question that I had to ask for myself, this is the way that I kind of uh, honed in on, on exactly what I needed and what, what I needed to talk about this morning. Here's the question. What do we need to know and understand about worship at this moment? Um, because there's a number of, of things that we could learn. We could go through the entire Bible and have a 37-week series on worship. We really could because there's so much there. But what do we need right now? Where are we right now in our lives? And God kept driving me back to this passage in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah became more than just a believer in God. He became more than just a prophet. He became more than any of that. He became a worshiper of God, and it completely changed everything. Isaiah was, as you know, a prophet. He'd had five chapters in the Bible already by this time. He'd already declared many things to the people of Israel. But there was this turning point in his life, this hinge moment in his life where it all changed. And he became so much more than what he was because he understood what it was to actually worship God. And, and the thing is, is this is where we are. The majority of us aren't bad people in this room. Most of us are church people. Many of us are Christians. But there are probably very few of us in this room right now that are worshiping God like they're supposed to. 
this is the definition of worship. To worship is to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. And if we look at this, if we look at this definition and we start examining our lives, not just on Sunday morning, but on Monday through Saturday, and we apply it to God and our worship of God, are we doing this? Are we loving God extravagantly? Is everything in our life pointing that way? Are we submitting to God in an extreme measure where people will notice, where people notice that something's going on with this person? They're not just your normal everyday Christian. Something's going on in their life. Something is different. This is the problem. We separate worship into categories. We worship on Sunday, but Monday is for me. We may give God a few minutes of our morning, but the rest of the day is ours. We may give God our eternity, but the rest of our lives are ours to live. And that's what we do so many times, and I'm, I'm speaking to myself here this morning, so many times I like to categorize and I like to put God over here and say, God, this is your spot to control, this is your spot to rule, this is your spot where I can worship you, but this over here, this is mine. I'm going to deal with my family like this. I don't care what you say. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk the way that I want to talk to these people, but on Sunday I'll talk like I'm supposed to. And you see, the thing is, is this entire series has been leading up to this point because prayer is worship. Serving is worship. Speech is worship. Everything that we do is worship, and it is worship of something or someone. But this kind of worship that we categorize and separate, it's not the worship that God wants. He wants extravagant love. He wants ex an incredible submission uh, to him. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 6 this morning, verses 1 through 8. I've only got a couple, a couple points for you this morning, uh, but I want to drive this home and let you see Isaiah's experience with God and worship. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were, were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's, it's all over. I'm doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. This changed the ball game for Isaiah. This changed everything. This was the hinge moment in his life of worship. 
And my prayer is today that, that we'll come to this realization that, that worship is so much more than just the songs that we sing on a Sunday morning. It's so much more than the prayers that we pray in Sunday school. It is our life. And it is, it is the life of worship that God desperately wants us to have. He wants us to have him. Isaiah chapter 6 Verse number one, when you start out this passage, you read, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. You don't need to skip over that, that phrase, in the year that King Uzziah died, because it is more important than you think. The nation loved this king, Uzziah. They loved him. This was actually one of those, those times in, Israel, in Israel's history where there was a good king. And usually when there was a good king, good things happen. When there was a bad king, evil king, bad things happen. And this, this is one of those times where they actually had a good king. And this king had, had been reigning for 52 years. So this is all they knew was this king. Just to put it in perspective, do you know who was president 52 years ago? JFK. That's how long this guy had, had been reigning in this nation. 52 years. How many, how many of you remember JFK? Not from the history books, but you actually remember him being president. 52 years. That's a long time to be the ruler of a nation. And they, they loved this king. They loved what he did because he brought security and stability. Everything that they did, they knew what was going to happen. They knew this guy. They knew the security that he would bring. They knew the stability that he would bring. And it took losing this king for Isaiah to see the true king. So the question I have for us this morning is, is what king are we holding on to? What king are we holding on to? What is it in your life that has this kind of worth to you? That you put the importance of your career, you put your, the importance of your family, you put the importance of your health or acceptance or relationship. It is the most important thing to your life because it gives you the stability that you crave and the security that you want. And you think, if I can just have a better career, if I can just have more money, if I can just have a better family or a better spouse, if I can just get to that point, then I'll be secure, I'll be stable, I'll be exactly what I want in my life. And those things become kings, kings to us. And Isaiah had fit into that thing. Even though he was a prophet, even though he was a man of God, he still relied on the fact that Uzziah was king and everything was good. And the year that Uzziah died, that's when, that's when Isaiah saw the Lord. He saw God in his fullness. He saw him exactly what he was supposed to be. And here's your first point for us this morning. In order to become someone who worships God, you must first see his worth. You must first see his worth. And Isaiah was at this point in his life where he saw God. He saw the, the reality of who God was. He saw the Lord and everything changed. It was at this point where he, where he was going down that he saw God. Has God ever done that to you where he shows up and everything changes? Has he ever come to your life when you thought everything was going good, but then God shows up and shows you who he really is? Maybe everything was going bad. And you rely on all, all these different things, all these different circumstances, and all of a sudden, they were gone. That person was gone, that job was gone, and then God shows up and changes everything. 
Isaiah saw God in his fullness, which made him see everything else in his reality. It's amazing what a glimpse of God will do to your perspective. Let's keep on reading. It says this in in verse number one. He says, he was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple, attending him were all these angels with all these wings. And they were crying out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. To Isaiah, everything began to pale in comparison to the greatness and the worth of God. What he thought was valuable and worthy in his life didn't seem that important anymore. Because what he saw is he saw his sin, he saw himself, he saw God as high and lifted up in this holy, amazing, great God. And then he looks at his life and is like, oh my goodness, I'm going to die. I'm doomed. God, I can't stand in your presence. I see the greatness of who you are, and then I see me. I thought I was doing good. I was your prophet. I was the one declaring your word to all these people. But now I see you. And because I see you, I see who I am. And I look around at all these people and I see who they are. Everything else paled in comparison to the greatness and the worth of God. What he thought was valuable and worthy in his life just didn't seem that important anymore. In fact, he thought he was just going to die right there on the spot. You could imagine that. The greatness and the glory of God shining on you and seeing who God is and his reality would cause us all to feel like that. God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to die. And if it stopped right there, there, we would still think that God was an amazing God and God was a great God. Even though Isaiah saw God in his holiness and saw God in his greatness and, he, and it reflected back to him and what it, what it reflected back was not beautiful. In fact, it was, it was nasty and it was ugly. And if Isaiah would have just saw that, it would have been an amazing uh, service. It would have been an amazing worship service. It would have been an amazing time. But thank goodness, thank God that it doesn't stop there. Just at the moment when you think God's greatness and worth couldn't get any higher, God pours out his grace and his forgiveness on Isaiah. He knew how sinful he was. He was shaken to his core. He was unraveling right there in front of God. And then God forgives and gives grace. In that passage where he says, I am doomed, the actual word there is, it means unraveled. I'm coming apart. I'm coming apart. I don't know, God, I don't know what I'm going to do now. I see you. And then God reaches down on the, on the coals of the altar and touches Isaiah's lips. He's like, listen, I know you think you're a filthy mouth pastor. I know that you think that, that, that you are too sinful to stand in my presence. But guess what? I'm coming to you and I'm going to touch your lips and I'm going to let you know that you have grace and you have forgiveness. That's what God does. That's who God is. He's not only a holy, just, righteous God, but he is also a loving, forgiving, graceful, merciful, incredible God. That's who God is. And in order to become someone who worships God, you must first see his worth. You got to see his worth. Aren't you glad for the grace of God? Aren't you glad that that he has entered into your life in the filthiness that that we have and has shown us forgiveness and shown us mercy and grace? When the passage says, while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us, that should strike a chord with you every single time that you hear it. Every time you hear it and you're like, that was me. God, you're too great to stand in front of it. And I'm that sinner. But while I was that sinner, Christ died for me. Look at this statement on the screen. The greatness and the worth of God can be read about, talked about, written about, and preached about. But when it's experienced, you worship. We can talk about this all day long. We can talk about how great God is. We can sing about how great he is. No one higher. You know, all this kind of stuff. We can, we can preach about it all day long. We can have classes on it. We can ha- have, write books on it. And it just doesn't matter until you experience it for yourself. But when you come and, and you see God for who he is and you see his holiness and you know that you are sinful and you know the moment that he enters your life and he shares his grace with you, then you worship You can't get beyond it because of the worth and the incredible greatness of who God is. So in order to become someone who worships God, you must first see his worth. The second thing this morning, in order to become someone who worships God, you must begin to see that your life fits into God's mission. Isaiah chapter 6, verse number 8 after he got through this, this entire time here where he saw God high and lifted up, he saw himself and he saw the people out there and he, and he saw the sinfulness around him. And then God's grace and mercy comes onto his life. He then willingly and passionately became part of God's mission. He could not get beyond it. He, it was almost like he, him saying this, the only thing that I can imagine doing now is serving you. He says this in verse number eight. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Someone once said this, from brokenness to mission is the path of worship. I don't even know what that means. I don't even know the depths of that. Because so many times we think, Worship is this, worship is this style, worship is this thing that we do, worship is this and that. But the truth is, is when God takes you from being a broken person, shattered, undone, unraveling before yourself, before God, and then he puts you all back together, and he puts you out on mission, and he begins to uh, let your life, um, he begins to, to let your life show the worth of God to other people. That's when worship really happens. That's what worship is all about. From brokenness to mission is the path of worship. It goes back to to the idea of worth. How much is God worth to you? Let's answer that. How much is God worth to you? What's the word that pops into your mind when when you hear that question? How much is God worth to you? Is he worth all? Is he worth everything? What do you think? Is he worth all? Is he worth everything? How much God is worth to you is in direct proportion to how much you live for him. If if God is all to you, if God is everything to you, if God is everything to me, then I'll willingly live for him. 
And I'll willingly live for him more than just Sundays, more than just Wednesdays, more than just a, a, a prayer that I prayed for salvation. It'll be my life if he is worth it all to you. If God is everything, then your life will reflect that. It will go well beyond just Sunday morning attendance at church. It will touch every area of your life. This is real worship. So if God is worth it all, if God is worth everything, if God, if God is higher than anything else in your life, then your life will reflect that. When Jesus is worth it all, you will give it all. When Jesus is worth it all, you will give it all. This is why the parable of the treasure makes sense to you. Matthew chapter 13 verse 44 says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. That makes sense to you because when you understand the value and the worth of the treasure, you're like, duh, that's exactly what I would do. This man's in the middle of a field doing his thing, working his job, and he comes across this, this treasure that is beyond the worth of anything in his life. No matter what the wealth he had, he hides it again, he walks away, and he, in his excitement, he sells everything he has. He gets rid of his entire life in order to buy that one field. And probably people looked at him and said, that is the biggest dummy I've ever seen in my life. There is nothing in that field. That field is just a bunch of rocks. And he says, but I know something that you don't. Now I know the value of something in that field that goes beyond anything in my life. And I'm willing to give up my life to buy that field because that treasure is there. And that passage of scripture makes sense to you. If you're sitting here and you think God is worth everything, God is worth it all because you know the treasure. You know the value that's there, and you will willingly give up your entire life to get that treasure, to have that value in your life. It also makes sense to you, uh, you don't blink an eye at this passage. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 says this, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. You don't blink an eye at that because this is the life he's called us to. This is the worship that he wants. When you look at it, you say, I, I will willingly take my selfish ways and the things that I desire to do and the things that I desire to have, and I will, I will turn my back on those things, and I will take up an instrument of death. I will lose my life for you, and I will follow you, Jesus, no matter where you take me, no matter where you send me, no matter what you want me to do, I will, I will willingly go towards that. And when you see a passage like that and you understand that God is, is worth it all, Jesus is worth everything, you look at that passage and you say, of course, of course, of course I'm going to live like that. Of course I'm going I'm to make that decision to follow God. But this kind of worship, you know, it manifests itself in, an, in a number of ways. And I just want to cover three of those real quickly this morning. It manifests itself in this, in, in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, this idea that God is worth it all and that he is more than worthy of my worship. And I see his worth and I want to give him the worship that's due his name. In our day-to-day -day lives, it will come out. You can't just experience God's grace and not worship him with your life. If you can experience God's grace and live your own life and do your own thing, you have not experienced the God of the Bible. Because God is too worthy. God is too great. 
to not give him everything. And when God shows up, our lives change. We are shaken to our core. We're shaken to our foundation because we understand who he is. and We understand who we have to be and what we have to do now. But also it manifests itself in our corporate worship. On Sunday morning, this is what we do. This is our corporate worship. What we do here on Sunday is important. It's not just an exercise in tradition or just something Christians do. This is very important. Our corporate worship on Sunday is an overflow of 600 people's individual worship during the week. And if corporate worship is stale, it's because our individual worship as a congregation is stale. And what we do here is is vastly important in how it is an overflow of our individual worship is the truth. We come not to get, but to give. The American church tends to use Sunday as a time to fill up and get what God can give us. But what if we reverse that? What if we filled up during the week and then celebrated our God on Sunday? Do you think it would change our services? Do you think it would change our week? It would change everything. So many times in in our churches, and I've done this, I was telling Dawn last night, I said, this is me. There are many times where I walk into, you know, a Sunday morning or Wednesday night thinking, uh, God, I need this to get me through the rest of the week. God, I need something to get me through the week this week. I've got a hard week this week. And that is so the opposite of the way it should be. When we walk away from this place on Sunday morning, it should have been a celebration of what God has done in the previous week. When we walk into our homes and our schools and our, and our workplaces on Monday morning and we are filling up with, with the glory and the worth of Christ in our lives and we're doing that for the entire week and then we walk in here on Sunday morning, our worship will not be something that we're trying to manipulate and manufacture and, and, and try to get this, this rise in us, but it's something that just flows from us. So when we see God for who he is, the glory that really is him, the worth that really is Jesus, the greatness that is our God, when we understand that, we will then begin to worship. And then automatically what happens, passionately what happens is you see how you fit into God's kingdom. You see how you fit in in the mission of God for this world. And that's the third way it manifests, our interaction in the world. Paul was an incredible man. Paul was an incredible church planner, incredible missionary. And he said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 31 and 33. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. So in other words, what he's saying here is, is my interaction in the world is this. In my life, I'm, I'm going to try to see and know and express the glory of God. I'm going to see, know, and express the worth of God uh, in my life. And because of that, I'm not going to do what is best for me. What I think I should do, I'm going to do what is best for those people. I'm going to do what's best for people in the world, the people that don't know Jesus, that don't know the worth and the greatness of who God is. I'm going to do what is best for them because I want my life to bring people along with, with me to glory. 
with me to forgiveness, with me to grace, because you understand the worth of who God is. Our interaction, our, our, the way it manifests in our life is day to day, every single day. It manifests itself in our corporate worship, Sunday to Sunday. And it also, uh, it manifests itself in the way that we deal with people on and on. So becoming a person who worships God will change everything. It not only changes your outlook, it changes your life. It changes the lives around you. It sets you on mission for God. One thing that we haven't done yet today is talk about challenges, and this is how it'll start for us this week. Again, I mentioned that worship, just like last week on speech, it's really difficult to really hone in on a challenge that is heart level. Um, but I really think this is a really good place for us to start because uh, the first one is definitely heart level uh, stuff. So let's look at the challenges this morning. Number one, uh, this week, this afternoon, whatever, uh, whatever, whenever you have some, some good time here, write out who God is to you and how you see your life as part of his mission. Describe his worth. Be honest and descriptive. Okay, this, this, is, what, this is the reason I put this one on there and all that stuff there. Um, I think it's important, again, like I said last week, to write things out uh, with your own hand. I think that just, it connects it right to the heart. But also, this part here, describe his worth, be honest and descriptive. I, re I really want us to be honest, because you may be sitting here this morning like, I don't even believe in God. I don't even know why I'm here this morning. That's okay, okay? I want you to be honest. You're like, God is worth nothing to me. Write that out. Write it out. Or if God is worth everything to you, be descriptive. Why is he worth it all to you? Why is he worth everything to you? Write it out. Be honest and descriptive. And then, you know, write out how you see your life as part of his mission. If you can't think of anything, write that out. Write it out as a prayer. God, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And I'm just going to throw it out there. I have no clue. I don't even want to know. You know, whatever, your, whatever is the honest thing in your heart, write those things out just to see where you are. The cool thing is, is, is when you begin to, begin to figure out what God wants you to do on mission, it's amazing because not everybody in here is going to be pastors. Not everybody in here is going to be missionaries, but there should be some pastors and missionaries come out of this, this crowd. There should be some church planters that are sitting right here. One of you may be the, the pastor of the next church plant. One of you could be that person. There's many of you that are, that are business people, stay-at-home moms, whatever. And the truth is, is you could leverage your career for the mission of God. You could leverage your income for the mission of God. You could leverage your family for the mission of God. We, in this crowd, every single follower of God, every single worshiper of Jesus Christ is on mission for God. You fit in some way as a worshiper for the mission of God. So that's the number one, that's the first challenge. And that's a lot. That's a big one, okay? And that, that'll take some, some real honest time. The second one is this. A uh, little bit more, uh, just throwing it out there for the world, I guess, is throughout the week on social media, post who God is to you and his worth in your life. If you don't have any form of social media, purposely tell someone about God's worth and who he is to you. 
Uh, my wife also slipped this in last night. It's like, okay, that's not my, I have social media, but that's not my personality. Um, I said, that's fine. Then personally tell somebody about who God is to you and what his worth. She said, I can do that. This is the thing. I want to blow it up. Not for my glory, not, but I want, I, want to, I want the world to see what we think of our God. Isaiah put it out there in Isaiah chapter 6. is like, this is what I think about God. God is holy, 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 and I'm not, not, not. Okay? Isaiah just threw it out there. Put it out there and see what God can do. Because I guarantee you, somebody that reads your Facebook post or your Twitter, Twitter message or whatever um, will desperately need to hear that God is a loving God. Somebody out there will desperately need to hear that God gives us grace when we don't deserve grace. Somebody needs to see that. Somebody needs to read that this morning. So become a worshiper of God. You worship God by first understanding who God is and his worth in our life, and then understanding how you fit into the mission of God. So maybe you're sitting here and you have never experienced the greatness and the goodness of who God is. Let today be the day. Let today be the day. We would love to talk to you. We'd love to pray with you about that. We would love to, to sit down and say, this is our God, and, and he wants to be a part of your life. Maybe you're sitting here today, and you're a Christian already, but you still tend to give yourself to other things. You still tend to, to slide and say, this is more of worth in my life. I'm worshiping, I'm slipping and worshiping other things. Maybe God is drawing you back today. Just like the prophets would say, come back to God, who is worthy of worship and all he's done for you. This is our response time today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, for your glory. We thank you, God, for your worth. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to see you for who you are. Because in seeing you for who you are, we see ourselves for who we are, and we become broken. And at that point, we can worship you. And Lord, when you give us your grace and you give us your forgiveness, Lord, help us to see that we belong on mission with you, and that is also worship. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray, that God, that you would just speak to hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. <clears throat> We're going to sing.